Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the first episode of 2024 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, welcome to the first episode of 2024. Mike Sargent, Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you, Jack Rico. Can you believe it's 2024 already? Uh, dude, to even say that we're in 2024 seems like science fiction to me. That's all I can say. So, yeah. It's I know. Hard to I know. <laughs> I have been spending my 2024 so far binging and watching a television show that you recommended me not too long ago. We were talking over the phone and you're like, yo, you know what I've been watching? <laughs> That's really good. I mean, like, really good. And I was like, well, damn. And you said Jack Ryan. And dude, the first thing I thought of was Jack Reacher. And you said, no, 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 Jack yes. Ryan with John Krasinski. I was like, oh, yeah. And it was Krasinski who didn't sell me on it. I see him as a comedian. I don't see him as an action star. So I couldn't believe it. I dude, was not convinced. I see him as even less than that because I never saw The Office. I just see him as like this kind of like. I never saw The dude. Office either, so, so I just know. Yeah, there from, is. I just know he's a funny guy. I, I don't even know I what he does. I just know him throughout the Hollywood conversations. I haven't really been focused on his career much. I saw The Quiet Place. That's what changed everything for me. When I actually started watching the first that whole season <laughs> is edge of your seat watching. That's when I appreciated Tom Clancy even more. I was like, the right. writing, the characters here, the one-liners. I mean- The I like nuances, the f- yes. Yeah, yeah. And Pierce is acting. That dude, I, I'm again, I'm shocked that this show isn't nominated and that he's not nominated every damn season. This is not a French problem. This is a world problem. Who the hell are you? I'm Jim Greer. And if you give a shit, I've been doing this for 16 years. Listen, as one of the best actors, love, love Wendell Pierce. First of all, I've always liked Wendell Pierce, and of course, I'm a James Earl Jones fan. And the original film, Hunt for Red October, definitely one of my favorite. I'm a huge spy fan, film fan. I'm a fan of spy films, and Sean Connery, great. Okay, to see how they reimagine this character, Admiral Greer, to be more of like out there in the field with Jack Ryan and their relationship being. Very I different. Love different, but I really love enjoyed it. it. I love it. Really enjoyed it. It's funny in a very like dry way, mm-hmm. and it's really action heavy, man. And and it's getting twisted. There's moments that some of the scenes are too damn graphic to watch. This is this can't be the last scene I watch before I go to sleep. It right. cannot happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have some yes. ugly nightmares. It's yeah. great, man. So thank you very much. To me, it's television's best kept secret. 
And on this episode, Mike, I thought we would sort of focus a little bit more on the award season so far. January out of the gates, man. It was like award week after week. We had the Golden Globes. We had the Critics' Choice Awards. We had the Emmy Awards. We had the SAG nominations. And now we're about to have the Oscar nominations on January 24th. That's not the ceremony, just the nominations. The ceremony is in March. And I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about what this award season represents post-strike. What does this award season say about diversity, which I kind of haven't been reading so much of it. Like the whole Oscar so white tone doesn't feel like top of mind anymore. It doesn't feel like it's the national conversation. So I wanted to dissect that with you a little bit more and to kind of get an understanding of the television shows that are being nominated and what do these shows say about our tastes and preferences in 2024? What is it that we're gravitating to? What what are our tastes and how are we represented in this phase of Hollywood and, and storytelling. Well, that's a lot to unpack for this episode, Jack, and I'm glad that we're doing this because I think there's a lot to talk about here because I think there's, there's a context. You asked the question about DEI or diversity and really part of the theme of this show is does diversity still matter you know it feels like it's being dismantled dismembered from the fabric of democracy we by 2025 we might not have dei they always say that hollywood is really a mirror to our society of our aspirations our dreams and if that were to be true and we were to look at that mirror of hollywood What are we seeing in who is being nominated? What are we seeing in the type of shows and the stories, the subject matter of these stories that are being told? What does that say about our preferences and our tastes? And I thought we would break some of this stuff down. Yes, I I would love to because you say it feels like they're just dismantling and it's, and in this climate, it, 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 the reason it feels like it is because they are, they absolutely are. And in many ways, it's a little bit scary because like you and I have spoken about, there's a huge gap in terms of the awards, and we'll get to that, in terms of who has not won, who's been completely invisible, spoiler, in the awards this year. But like you said, there's no one talking about it because to talk about it, is not necessarily a good move now. It's not a good move to be, you're not really quite sure how much money or how much less popular you'll become if you do or you don't support DEI. I would say that coming into this, the press has been a little bit silent about the conversation of diversity in the award show system. It's not an Oscar so white year anymore. It's almost like it doesn't matter. I feel like we're regressing. 
And that way, that Lily Gladstone at the Golden Globes was the first indigenous woman to ever win Best Actress yes. at the Golden Globes. This year, Ali Wong became the first Asian woman ever to earn an Emmy for a lead. Ever. Ever. Brunson is only the second black woman ever to win for lead actress in a comedy series at the Emmys. In 40 years. Yeah. 40 and so, years. And so what you're looking at is that a lot of these accomplishments, these milestones, haven't really been covered with the passion that we've seen in previous years. And I was wondering if the national conversation of DE&I and how there seems to be a backlash around it now, if it's in some way affecting the judges who are voting for these shows, do you think it's having any effect on it? Well, I absolutely do. I think it's having an effect in every area of our life. I, I think that the entertainment industry, like I said, RK, there's image. What do you, you want to be on the right side of what is the image? But on the inside, okay, there's an article I have to quote to you. You ask, what is the feeling about DEI in the industry? Inside the industry, there, there's an article that is on a, there's a site called Film Threat. And they, they had, the headline is a veteran screenwriter's plot twist on Hollywood's DEI cultural shift. And it's this writer who's been a showrunner and he's a white guy. He's been around for a long time. And he goes on to say how he's upset about how they are. I, I'm just going to read a little bit of a passage here. He says, which leads us to the next point. The reality is that for the past five years, white, straight male writers and directors with experience and successful track records have been sidelined. We talk about it over coffee or after screenings. We've essentially been told that because of our race and our gender, we need not apply. At one point, my agent told me that they couldn't put me up for an any OWAs, that's an open writing assignment, or TV staffing jobs because the execs only wanted to hear takes on material from... BIPOC or female or LGBTQ writers. Some shows even started insinuating staffing quotas that 40 to 50% of the writing staff had to be people of color. I know many showrunners who hate this, not because they didn't want to hire new writers and foster them. They didn't want half their staff coming from a pool of young, inexperienced writers who knew nothing about working in a writer's room, production, post, or deadlines. Now, he goes off on that little rant, but then here's the most important part. He writes, is this illegal? Probably, but hey, I'm not an attorney and there's no way to find out. Anyway, because if you ask questions about this, you'll be labeled a racist or called out for your white male privilege. If you so much as raise an eyebrow, there's a risk you'll never work again. That's why I'm writing this anonymously. Tell me that doesn't say it all. I read something like that, and then you read how the four big accounting firms have decided that they are, they, they've dropped some of the diversity targets in the U.S. and opened up previously off-limited scholarships to white students after pressure from right-wing activists and the Supreme Court ruling against affirmative action. So if the Supreme Court has ruled against affirmative action, why does Hollywood have to pay attention to any yeah. why they don't have to? 
Listen, the Oscar Awards, unless you remember, right after Oscar So White, Black Lives Matter, so many changes in the eligibility rules were set that kick in this year, 2024. So it's going to be an interesting year because this is where you have to meet two of the four diversity standards for Best Picture nomination. And that means that, for example, like the lead actor in two out of the four movies have to be underrepresented actors, 30% diverse crew, diverse marketing, diverse apprenticeships. And the issue that you can see is about to happen is someone's going to say, you can't mess around with subjective storytelling that don't have people of color in them. Some stories just, some experiences happen without people of color, man. And some experiences happen without white people. It's, do those specific movies sell? Is the story interesting enough that you're not noticing all of that? We, how many Woody Allen movies did you see throughout your life? It wasn't until late, late on in my life that I didn't notice that there weren't people of color in them. This hit me late, man. I didn't notice it like in the first movie. I didn't make a big deal about it. It just didn't even occur to me because I guess white is the default. It, you could see that they're already going to probably amend the rules of the best picture Oscar rules. They're going to change them. You could see it coming. So it's going to be really interesting how diversity plays out. And if the press ever goes, Oscar so white, the sequel, what will they do? Will they ignore it? Will we ignore it? I, I, I don't know if we're going to repeat that again, Mike. It's interesting what you're saying, repeating that. And, and to put it into context, you just look at history. You, you look at uh, the, the 60s and, and the civil rights movement and black power movement and then feminism and other times that all, you know, the farm workers and all these things were happening and all these things inspired things. But then by the time you get to the late 70s, early 80s, all that stuff is kind of forgotten. It's we're all distracted with a whole lot of other things. The question is, just like during Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, you have cited how you actually did research and your life and your perspective on the world was broadened and changed. But a lot of people, they ordered the book and never picked it up. So how can you tap into that sense of whether it's guilt or responsibility or just giving a shit? I gave a shit a long time ago or so maybe it's going to take another generation yeah for that that hasn't experienced feeling bad and letting it go what better example for us than the fact that Latinos got shut out in this award season this Completely. was our best shot Mike and you know it we've had conversations about this about America Ferrer we did the episode the Latina Barbie feminism yeah. episode it was so clear that this was our best shot and I'm glad that the Critics' Choice nominated America for her, but the Golden Globes didn't. No one else did. And that was such a good moment for Hispanic representation, man, in the biggest movie of the world. 1.4 Bill. Then she was all over it. We have analyzed that that movie could be argued that it is a Latina movie. Because outside of Barbie, the human protagonist is Latina. 
She's and the her human daughter is Latina. She's the human. She's the human that Barbie's searching for. Exactly. So you could say she's like the lead, <laughs> and that the whole movie f- flows through that Latinaness. It's her right. Barbie. It's her Barbie. It's her Barbie. It's her Barbie. It's a Latina's Barbie. Which says a lot. Of stuff. But yes. so the fact that so- Pedro Pascal is. The fact that Jenna Ortega is like the it girl of the world, how is it that we couldn't win anything? What does it take to win stuff? Is Because we all think it's popularity. But clearly, these are some of the most popular Latinos in the world. Shut well, you see, out, but, but, dude. But, but, but here's the thing, just to dissect, as you said, winning, meaning gaining the respect and acknowledgement of your peers and or the industry. So what do you think's happening there? If they're moving away from diversity and diversity suggests the multiculturalism and LGBTQ and da, 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 but the binary for America is black and white. You've said that before. That's kind of how people see the race issue. It's black and white, even though it's not. And as a result, then the Latino's sort of invisible in that conversation. And you've got some Latinos that will remain invisible. And you have some Latinos that this, they would write, they'd like to be the new white people. And then, so in a way, what it seems looking at the, let's just say the, the Latinos that are represented, even though there, there are some that are getting work and there's been some great films and things, but they're not getting the acknowledgement. So it's almost like they're window dressing. And when you look at the, the fact that Latinos aren't Dude, I, I don't want to get personal like this, like I'm hurt about it, but I think I am. Because they're finally putting us in the nomination categories because they, they kind of got to, man. Like these shows are mainstream shows. They're not, they're not Latino shows. They're mainstream shows. Everyone's watching them. They're four quadrant shows. But it's almost like we're not worthy of being recognized. We're allowed to come to the party, but we're not yet allowed to be celebrated. And this almost seems like in every category of society. If we bring up the Latino conversation in these award shows, you know, it's almost like unfair to bring it up. This was our best year. We had a lot of representatives, man, in the mainstream. And Dude, how could Diego Luna not get nominated for for Andor? I mean, that I voted for him because I'm a voter. I'm a member mm. of the Television Academy, and I voted for him. Mm. Dude, if you look at the screen grabs that I have a collection of screen grabs for every year that I vote to okay. look at all the representation that I voted for and all the representation that is not reflected off of what I voted for. So wow. what that tells you, the lesson learned there is that one Latino can't do it on his own. This is a numbers game. We need so many people. Or the alternative is that Diego Luna had to be so unbelievable that he was better than Al Pacino and De Niro combined together to do a performance so mind-blowing that a white person who's older would go... Damn, he reminds me of Pacino and De Niro together. Wow, I don't see color on him. He's not Mexican to me. He's an American. 
That's a pretty good uh, voice there. I like that voice. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like uh, Commander Thunderbolt Ross. Find the Hulk. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It was just... Uh... <laughs> So I want to talk about the ratings for a second and the implications of what the seesaw we've seen with these award shows. For example, the Golden Globes came in at 9.4 million viewers, up 50%. Dude, that's incredible. I would give a bonus like, here you go, producer. (laughs) 50% is unheard of, especially trying to build your reputation, amend it, where you had to overhaul a whole board because you were considered racist. Yes, they did. This is a comeback from a scandal. Wow. This goes in the books. So then you're like, okay, so why did that happen? For me, it was the first award show after the strikes. We're back. We solved it. We haven't had a coming out party. And so it felt meaningful to a certain extent, and it felt like a welcome back to to culture, to American culture, too. And and it's award shows, man. That that is our candy. That's our sugar. And I feel like people were starving to see celebrities. Dude, and they had the, the television and the film. And that makes a big difference, man. And then Taylor Swift was there. And she's the biggest pop star on the planet. I think it was that. Well, I think it was that, but I also think, I think it's a confluence of things. I think that one of the things that, that happened during the pandemic, there are a number of things that happened. But the, one of the big things that happened is that for a moment now, we were distracted from the everyday things. Even when we started this show, which we're, we really intended to do a lot more heavy on movies and, and pop culture, but it almost seemed frivolous at the time. So I think that there was that sort of unconsciousness. And then there was just sort of a, during that time, the only way to access celebrities and what exploded was was social media. You could see celebrities anywhere all the time. You, you follow them and you know what they're doing, what's going on. So that, oh, look, there they are in their real life or there they are outside of a movie, that appeal was gone. But then I think the strike, I think that was like a desert of there's there's no celebrity anything. There's a desert of celebrities. And so you're right. I think this is the first big thing. I think the CCA also benefited from that desert. What's interesting about the Golden Globes and the CCA is the one thing that changed in the last three years for both of those organizations is they diversified and expanded their voting body. So they're a little hipper. You don't think that these new categories of best stand-up comedy absolutely best box office absolutely popular movie absolutely best do you think that brought in an extra appeal i think that's what i say yes it yes i do i think that's why i say it's a confluence of factors i think it's all the things we're talking about i think are what led to these successes yes okay so then the emmys didn't have that it didn't reflect that 4.3 mil 
No. Which is the lowest recorded rating that the Emmys has ever had in its history, and it was on Fox. I feel that there was a moment where by the time that the Emmys came across, man, everybody was tired of the award shows. They couldn't keep up. It was too fast. You weren't forgetting one while the other one was already hitting you, and the red carpet was back on. I guess like, didn't I just see you like a few days ago? Exactly, exactly. So, You're watching the same some, people <laughs> a couple nights later. <laughs> yeah, they just they were at the same hotels. You know what? Why do I have to go home? I just stay at the hotel and then just change dresses. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I'm like, how are we supposed to be as excited for the Emmys or the SAG nominations? Do you think that will happen with the Oscars? Because remember, they tried this popular movie category and the backlash was swift and severe. So the question is, no, do they? I, I think it's going to be a record year for the Oscars. And I think it's going to be a record year for the Oscars for wow. all these. You, I do. And here's why. I think the reason the Emmys failed is all of those reasons. And awards show fatigue. For sure. It's, it's a little old hat now. And they're cramming in two in the same year. And they're in the shows that they're talking about, it's, wait a minute, didn't he leave that show? Didn't he leave the show he's winning an award for a year ago? The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So I, I think there's that factor. But I think the Oscars, this is the first time where there are definitely some front runners that are, I think, socially relevant. I think that mm -hmm. there are definitely some stars who are new, who are getting limelight now, who are interesting. So there's some interesting stars out there from some interesting movies. And, and I think that this is going to be a sort of a return because really, we're really only in the last, year, I think, have really kind of seen things get back to what they were. We couldn't have had a success like Oppenheimer and Barbie the year before, or clearly the year before that in, in 20 or 21, 2021. So I think that this is the return of that candy. I think everybody's ready for the candy that you're talking about. Mike, I'm really curious about the Oscar nominations this year because I want to know if the wins and some of the snubs that happened throughout the last couple of weeks with the other award shows are going to reflect the Oscar nominations. There's a bunch of movies that I think should do better, like Maestro. Also, uh, Lily Gladstone, the fact that she didn't win the Critics' Choice Awards and that Emma Stone is coming out of nowhere... I started thinking, oh, my God, are all our diverse films and stories and talent going to be overshadowed this year? Do you think that the Oscar awards, Mike, will correct that? Yes and no. I think that the Oscar nominations were going to be diverse and great and wow, yes, they got it. But then I think the winners are going to be less of a surprise. 
I think that the winners will probably be a slight mix that, and not in the major categories. I think that clearly certain people, I mean, I, I don't know if you want me to go into all my predictions. I, I more see somebody like Lily Gladstone winning as a potential, but I see it's either going to be Danielle Brooks or Divine Joy Randolph as best supporting. That Those are like the, what I see happening. The other stuff, I think there'll be no surprises. That, that's okay, my so let's go for it. Let's let's do a comparison take here between you and I. For Best Picture, Mike, Oscar nomination predictions, what are the movies of color that you think can squeeze into the top 10 Best Picture this year? Ah, oh, American Fiction, hands down. Definitely. Ah, oh, man. I, I mean, hands that down. movie hands to down. me is a big threat to best picture, in my opinion. It would have to beat Oppenheimer, and I don't see it doing that or even getting as close to Barbie, but it has the prestige, the respect, the admiration of the industry. Oppenheimer, Barbie, they'll they'll get nominated. Yeah, for sure. Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, yes, you could say, oh, it's a white movie, Martin Scorsese, but it really, the whole notion, the focus of the film is on an indigenous culture. You don't see well, it from a Martin Scorsese director often. Well, you and I definitely differ on our opinions of this film, but I do think that if it wins, I think it'll be nominated for Best Picture for sure, but I definitely don't think it's going to win. I think The Color Purple and Past Lives with mm. Greta Lee. What if this movie out of nowhere becomes like the next Parasite? No. Why? Parasite, well, no I, I one mean, saw now, it here's coming. The thing. I think, okay, I think Moonlight it's, it's, one. No one saw that one coming. Well, you're, you're asking my opinion, okay? My yeah. opinion is no. My opinion is no. I think it got some early love, and I think it's solid. But I think that there there are films that come out that have late in the game ground, and then also some films that have been stickier, like they stuck throughout the awards season. You don't really hear people talking about past lives. You'll be surprised if it makes it into the top 10. I don't know if Coleman Domingo makes it into the Oscar nomination list. He'll get nominated for Rustin. I think Rustin is a great film, and I think it's strong, but I don't think it's probably something that's going to be in Oscar contention. I do, however, think that he will probably get nominated for his role in The Color Purple because I think that he's got to get something so I think he's going to get nominated in either category. I don't think he's going to win, but I think the nomination is going to bring him to the next level. That's my opinion. He was outstanding in Rustin. But you said that he was even better in The Color Purple. I mean, this guy gave this year two of the best performances in a supporting role and in a best actor role. If you nominate him, here's what you're doing. You're nominating a black man. You're nominating a Latino man and you're nominating an LGBTQ actor all at the same time, brother. Talk about representation folded into one person. And who's going to say that dude dropped the ball on any of these movies? He left an imprint in each movie. Now, did people get to see Rustin? Because... Lenny Kravitz is being talked about for best original song, but does Coleman Domingo make it? The person who's really going to stand out in this in terms of a person of color in this category is Jeffrey Wright. And I think Jeffrey Wright, 
it's a long time coming. He's been doing a lot of great work for a very long time. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright's overdue, but I don't see him beating Killian Murphy. Best actress, I got Lily Gladstone and Greta Lee getting in there from Past Lives. I feel Lily Gladstone wins the Oscar on this one over Emma Stone, over Carrie Mulligan. It's almost like they got to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think that they, they have to do it because I think I, I can already see the headline that it's, you know, they're going to show, uh, you know, what what was your name? Marlon Little Brando's. Feather from Marlon Brando and, and you know, look, and now this is the, the reparations yeah. for what we did. The, here's back the reparations then. that occurred. Exactly. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. Best supporting actor, man. Sterling K. Brown in American fiction. Does he make it in here? I don't see him making it in. No, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Now, what about Charles Melton from the movie May December with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore? He's Korean American. A lot of buzz in the indie circuit. Does that momentum hit into Oscar territory? I don't know. I, I think that he's gotten buzz. I, I, I think he'd be that dark horse. It would be a surprise for him to kind of come out of nowhere and get. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress. Davine Joey Randolph has been sweeping pretty much. But if anybody saw The Color Purple and Daniel Brooks's performance, holy shit. And as somber and... Soul crushing Davine Joey Randolph's performance was in the holdovers. The comparison to me is apples and oranges, man. One was a subtle portrayal, the other one was a belting loud fighter against the systems that chained her in Daniel Brick's performance. I think they might both get nominated, you know, because they're both pretty terrific in their roles. I absolutely think she should be nominated. I think that it's it'd be a shame for either of them to not be nominated. So I think I think they kind of have to be. And then you got America Ferreira, man. For Latinos, this is probably one of the biggest movie moments we've had in years. The one that's kind of pierced through the pop culture noise. America Ferreira, yeah, I think that that her role and her importance in the film has been somewhat diminished. No one's really seeing it as her movie, and I don't know that the studios really mounted enough of a campaign behind her. I think she should be nominated. Best director, Mike. Now, we know this is Nolan's to lose. He's the lock. Everyone's been giving him awards for that. But if anybody could squeeze into the list, not necessarily rival Nolan in his year, do you think Cord Jefferson might be the guy to do it? Yeah, I think so. I think Cord Jefferson is really kind of the current favorite, and I think American fiction's gaining a lot of, of momentum. But there aren't that many black directors to choose from this year. I don't think they're going to give it to Ava DuVernay. What about Blitz Bazawule? I, I think he did a great job. I think that, that his adapting of this novel and movie we've seen before and then a musical, I think he's taken it to new levels. I think that adapting a musical to a film, uh, something theatrical, a stage play to a film no. is, is difficult to do. And I think he did a great, great job. So yes, I absolutely think he should be nominated. 
that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on X, Instagram, and now on YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black.